morning. I'm excited to be here this morning for two reasons. The first is to see you guys and to thank you for your prayers and also your financial support. The second reason I'm happy is that I heard there is going to be a potluck dinner. <laughs> and uh, that reminds me of my college years. Um, my wife and I, uh, at the college we went, they didn't serve food on Sunday, uh, on Sundays. So, Elaine and I, we were members of several churches in the Japan area because we had our ears open to every church that was going to have a potluck dinner. <laughs> so every Sunday, we will go to different church <laughs> so we can get some food. <laughs> we can get some food to eat. So I am excited. Thank you for the potluck dinner already, guys, <laughs> uh, coming. And, um, you know, I really enjoy the songs that uh, were sung this morning, and I will, I'm already blessed. I'm already blessed. I can't never, I hear people talking about God's love, and tears come to my, um, to my ears. I have a friend in Indiana. She came to Haiti to visit uh, our mission, and um, she was a young girl, and then just got married, and then came back to the States. And then a few months after she got married, she uh, called me, and she said, Pastor Roro, I want you to pray with me, uh, because I heard of someone who is going, who's having his liver, his liver is failing, and he is going to die. And I said, do you know that person? And she said, no, I don't know him. And she said, but because of the love of Christ, because God gave his only begotten son to save us, I have decided to give her half of my liver. And I said, Carrie, don't you, why are you doing that? She said, you can die. She said, I don't care if I die because Christ already died for me. But I want to give this young man part of my liver. And she did. That young man was not a Christian. His family never went to church before. And because of what Carrie did, the whole family, his whole family, mom, dad, nephew, they all come to test the love of God and give their lives to Christ. That's evangelism. That's evangelism in action. Not in, the, not in words only, but in, in deed. She had compassion for that young man. And I can understand why in Matthew, Matthew Chapter 9, verse 35 to verse 38, Jesus said, When Jesus went through the, all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness, 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He had compassion. He had compassion. In the summer of 2002, a very special ceremony was held in New York City to honor the firefighters and other volunteers who have put their lives on the line during the terrorist attack of 9-11. It was a very sad moment as the city remembered all those who lost their lives seeking to rescue others on that terrible day because they were in a life and death situation. The 911 rescuers gave gave themselves because they knew that many people would either live or die based on their efforts. People who are facing certain disasters need the rescuer to lead them out of danger, no matter what the cost to the rescuer. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel, smell, and see death? How would you feel if you were to get stuck in a roller coaster? In August of 1980, first time I came to America to attend the Bible College, I was in Ohio and they were taking me to Joplin, Missouri to attend Ozark Christian College. But they stopped on the way with me at, in Cincinnati at a place called King's Island. I've never seen a roller coaster before in my life. I've never been in one. But I was tricked. They told me they will take me and that uh, it will be fun. But they told me to sit in the last uh, car. And because they said, you will go, you won't go too fast. They will tell the people not to go too fast with me. So they put me on the last seat and they kept climbing. Crack, crack, crack. Do slowly, so slowly. And then they got to the top. And I was watching. The top became the first seat. And, and people were, young people were, having fun, raising their hands, and, but me, my heart was about to fall out. <laughs> Never been on a roller coaster before. And all of a sudden, something happened. We got stuck up there. They were silent. <laughs> People were screaming, kids were having fun, they were silent. Me, and I said, look where I'm going to die. <laughs> Look where I'm going to die, God, please save me. And I was so scared, and, and I don't know. And I said, I can't wait to get down. I, please, God, send someone who can help me get down that, as quick as I can. As you, and finally, some 
you know, technologies and things. And all of a sudden, we start going as fast as that thing. I was the first one in line. The first one. When I got down, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I was going to go this way or if I was going that way. But I was so happy. I was down from that roller coaster. Likewise, there are millions and millions of people who are facing certain spiritual disaster without Jesus Christ. They will need someone to lead them to safety. They need the church to witness to them. They need us to lead them to the cross of Jesus Christ where sin is paid for and forgiven. There is a, we have a church in Peredo. When I was starting that church, I didn't know anyone in that town. And I was going to invite people to come to our first service. And I knocked, I was knocking on doors, inviting people. I knocked at the door of her house, and no one answered. And I knocked again. And I heard a little girl inside. And I got closer, pushed the door, and I looked, and I saw that little girl laying down on a piece of cardboard inside of the house. They had no furniture, no table, nothing, except a piece of cardboard. So I went in, in there and to talk to her. And I bent down, talking to her. As I was speaking to her, and I saw big wounds in her leg. And I asked her, what happened? She told me, while, while my mom was cooking, it was nighttime, and I was running, and I hit the piece of wood and I fell on whatever my mom was cooking, and I got burned. They called the father. Instead of taking her to a hospital, which is about maybe an hour or an hour and a half from Perido, the father took her to a witch doctor. And the witch doctor told the father, to go look for old batteries you put in flashlight to break them open and get the powder, which is the acid, and put it on the wound. That happened for two weeks. As I got closer, I looked, and I could see maggots crawling in the wound. Can tell you how mad I was. I picked up the girl, took her to the hospital, and when I got there, the doctor said, I need to, we need to amputate both of her legs. She was nine years old. She was nine years old. And I said, No, she's too young. But I have I had heard of some doctors who were coming from the US to the northern, northern part of Haiti. Then I put her in the plane, flew with her to, to the north, 
and there the doctor saw her leg. They said they will keep her there. They didn't know they will try to save her leg. So they kept her there for three months and was able to save her leg. And when we came back to Peredo, the father, the mother, brothers and sisters, they all accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the witch doctor later on came to me and said, I have a son. Would you tell him about Jesus? And he said, and I said, what about you? I can give you Jesus too. And he said, no. When I was younger, my parents sold my soul to the devil. And I said, Christ paid it all for you. Christ paid it for you. A few months later, I saw him passing by near the church on Sunday morning, stop. And I, for those of you who have been to Haiti, you know how the church in Peredo is. And I kept preaching louder and louder so he could hear. And finally, one Sunday, he came forward and gave his life to Jesus. That, that witch doctor. They need, the church need to witness to them. They need us to lead them to the cross of Jesus Christ where sin is paid for. That is why God has called and mobilized the church as a rescue unit. We need to turn people from hell to heaven. My friends, hell is real. It is a fireplace. People need to be rescued rescued from it. It is our calling as followers of Christ to lead lost people through the fire and smoke to the safety of the cross. Someone said, we are never further from the heart of God than when we are silent to our unsaved friends and loved ones about the gospel and the eternal life that Jesus gave. And we are never closer to the heart of God than when we are telling others how they can be saved and bringing them to the Savior. You see, evangelism is telling, sharing with others about what Christ has done in your own life and what he means to us. Evangelism is telling your good friends about what your best friend, Jesus, has done for you. Once we were blind, now we can see. There's a, a group of missionary doctors who went to Africa, but they were eye doctors. They went to a, went to a small town to help people who have lost their sight for many years. And there came a man who was blind. Couldn't, he hasn't seen for many, many years. The doctors were able to do surgeries for him. He had cataract in his eyes. They took the cataract off and put a patch on his eyes and told him to wait for one day or two days. After two days, they took the, um, the patch off and he was able to see but the doctor told him to wait until the eyes is um, uh, healed completely before go he goes back to the mountain where he came from. But they looked for him. Next day, they couldn't see him. 
Two days they couldn't see him. Everyone is asking, where did he go? Where did he go? A week later, there was some commotion. There was some noise coming from afar. People were singing, coming. And then the doctors, the nurses, and got out. And what they saw, it was that man that they had surgery on, at first holding a rope. And holding on that rope behind him were hundreds of people. And when they asked him, what happened? Where have you been? We told you to stay home, to stay here until you are healed completely. His answer was, I was blind. I was blind. Now I can see. But I know where I live in the mountains. There are, there are hundreds of people like me who needed also to be seen. I thought of them. And I went. That's why I went. I went back home and bring them to the hospital so that they too can see. This is what we are as the church. Once we were blind. We didn't know Christ. But now that we know him and we know that our destination is heaven, there is room for one more. In Haiti, our transportation is different than here. We, you can get a small pickup shop we call them tap taps. And uh, in one pickup truck, you can put at least 15, 20 people. But there is, you, you can see it's crowded. And then someone will stop them. And the driver will stop when you ask him why. And he said, there is room for one more. For one more. And the church and the kingdom of God there will always be room for one, one more. Eileen and I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but my wife was. I met her in the church. And um, when I was nine years old, I was, uh, my parents were very Catholic, very strong Catholic people. So Catholic that in the church we attended when I was growing up, my parents bought a pew in the church and had our names written in the back of the pew. If I'd go to church and see someone I don't like, I had the right to make him stand up and leave because the pew belonged to my family. But at nine years old, something happened to me that made me hated God. I became an atheist. I was kicked out of the school I attended because someone had given me a Bible. No Catholic was allowed to have a Bible in their home when I was growing up. There was a Baptist minister who came along who was going to start a church in the village and in the city, invited people to come to to the first service. So I went. And the first, the first night he said, anyone who, come, who will come during that week of revival, they will give him a gift. I was nine years old. 
I thought they were going to give me a soccer ball or some toys. But sure enough, at the end, I was, my name was called and I was given a Bible, my first Bible. But I couldn't take it home because my parents could have gotten excommunicated from the church if the priest knew that my, my family had a Bible. So I got the Bible and put it on my, under my shirt, went to home without my parents see it. I put it in my book bag, and then Monday morning, I took the Bible to school. And I showed it to one of my friends, and then he went and told the priest, the Catholic priest who was the principal, Roro has the Bible in the school. I was, I was calling his office, and he told me about the Bible, and he, sent me, he asked me to go get it, bring it to him. I took it to him, and I was kicked out of the school because of the, that Bible. I was expelled from the school. From that day, I hated God. And I said, if God was really who he say he is, why did he let that happen to me? Went to grade school, elementary school, high school. I wanted to be a lawyer. So I started reading all the French philosophers from 18th and 19th centuries who were, who were, most of them were atheists. So I kind of believe in the worldviews. So God to me was dead. God was dead. I hated God with a passion. But someone invited me to church all the time asking me, to go to church with him. And I said, no, I will not. Because keep your God to yourself. Finally, to please him, one night I went, but I started way back in the church. But after the service was over, I saw some beautiful girls in that church. And I said, maybe I will go back again. <laughs> and I went, that's when I met Eileen. That's when I met Eileen. They were having a revival, so they called some of the young people in the church called me. So I went. The first night, the minister preached a sermon as if he knew my life. But I couldn't, I didn't want to give my life to Christ. So next day, I didn't go. Next day, I didn't go. So they called me again. So finally, on February 17, 1977, after I heard the sermon, as if the men knew my life, I went forward and gave my life to Christ. From that night, I felt the love of God uh, enveloped me. The love of God came to me. And the, the hatred, the, the emptiness, the void that was in me was filled. And I said, God, I want to serve you. Next morning, February 18, I went downtown bought me a Bible, bought me a hymnal, hymnal and I, hold, I held the Bible and I said, this is the book I wasn't allowed to hold. This is the book I wasn't allowed to know. And I said, God, I want to know you. Show me. Help me to read and understand who you are. So I started reading the Bible. Then my minister asked me to translate a book from English into French, 
learning from Jesus by one of the professors from Ozark Christian College. So I gave, I did. That's when I started learning who Jesus is, who God is. In January of 1980, a short-term missionary uh, from Indiana in Ohio went to Haiti to help my minister build a church in the village. And there was, in that group was a man by the name of Bill Hostetler. And that week I didn't go to classes at the law school. So I went and helped. I went and helped working. On Thursday, Bill met, he talked with a minister and he said, do you have a young man in the church who is serious about God? He said, I want to do something for Haiti that will last. I said, I can give you money. There are millions of dollars that have been invested in Haiti because of corruption. The country is still in the same condition of poverty, of ignorance. But I want to do something for Haiti that will last. Choose a young man. I will make sure I pay for his education, bring him to the U.S., send him to college, pay for him, for him to go back to Haiti and do something for Haiti that will last. I was the one chosen. I came, but I came to Ozark August 15 of 1980. And then a week after, stopped at Kings Island, you know, and then took me to Ozark Christian College. My first night on campus of Ozark was almost a disaster for me. I was working on campus about 9.30, and I saw a very beautiful black and white animal, and I was calling kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> it was not a cat. And one student, one of the students ran after me and said, this is not a cat. I love cats. And she said, no, this is, this is a skunk. I said, ah. but in Haiti, we don't have skunks. So uh, the closer I got, she, the cloud that she was yelling at me, don't, 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 don't go any closer. Finished my freshman year in college. Went back to, uh, went to Ohio. And also the church decided to bring Eileen to, uh, to Ozark. We both graduated from, a from Ozark. Time to go back to Haiti. But... Eileen and I we were married in Millersburg, Ohio. Because we were married, married in the States, I had to change your passport, maiden name, and your passport to my name. But the closest place to do that was at the Haitian embassy. So I flew to New York, where there is a Haitian embassy, and I went there, filling fill in the form they gave me. They took the passport from me, and they said, I will have it, they will mail it to me in one month. As I was leaving, I opened the door, and there was coming a man, well-dressed, suit and tie, very professionally dressed. And I looked, he was a friend of mine, I was in law school with. And I looked, and he said, oh, he was so happy to see me, and I was so happy to see him. And he asked me, what do you come to do here? And I explained to him, and that they will mail the passport to me in one month. So he said, no, come back. So I came back, sat down. 15 minutes later, he walked out and handed me the passport. 
it was done. Then he said, why do you need the passport? Are you going back to Haiti? And I said, yes. And he said, are you crazy? <laughs> and I said, he said, there is nothing for you in Haiti now. He said, you speak French, you speak English, you speak Spanish, you speak queer, plus you have an American diploma in your hands. You don't need to go back to Haiti. Haiti don't, doesn't need you, cannot offer you anything. But the UN, United Nations, are looking for people like you who can speak more than two languages. If you want, I will give you a job at the UN. I said, really? And he said, yes, I can give you a job at the UN. Then I decided to, I, to myself, and I said, I'm not going back to Haiti. I said, I'm going to go back to Ohio, get my books, my everything, pretending I go to Haiti, but I'm going to New York and work for the United Nations. But I told my friend, I have to call Eileen first. I called Eileen from New York. She was in Ohio. And Eileen said, we are going back to Haiti. And I said, you don't understand. We will make more money working for the UN. We will have a better life living in the States. And Eileen said, remember, we promised God that we will go back to Haiti to do something that will last. We promised Bill Hostetler, who brought us here in the States, who wants to do something for Haiti that will last, which is preaching the gospel. And we promised our church in Haiti that we will go back. And she said, Roro, if we stay here, we can be useful, but in Haiti, we are needed. Those Those were the two words that made me do what I'm doing today in Haiti. Useful and needed. For 36 years, Eileen and I, we've been doing so. We've been preaching, teaching. It hasn't been easy. But we are doing something that will change the country. We are winning souls for Jesus. I just look at my Facebook uh, um, page and I saw today is the birthday of one of the young men on our church who is the ambassador of Haiti at Washington, in Washington, D.C. He was the Secretary of State for Haiti. I remember when I was baptized, he's so tall and huge. I remember when I was baptizing him, I almost fell in the, wa fell in the water with it in the ocean. But today, we are trying to do something for Haiti that we, that we last. We need, we need to, as a church, to do, to do that, to win, to win people, win people for Christ. You see, people who are facing a life and death situation need a rescuer. We can only be, we can only become rescuer when we put aside our own agenda. 
remember, there will always be room for one more and the kingdom and the kingdom of God. This reminds me of the terrible disaster in which 1,500 people drowned in the cold waters of the Atlantic Ocean when the Titanic went down in April of 1912. Among the many tragic things that happened on that famous night, in the lifeboat rowing away from the Titanic, there were a lot of room for more people. But those, those who were safe in the boat didn't want to turn around and go back to save more victims because they were afraid too many people might try to get in and capsize the boats. The Titanic victims in the water were screaming for help because they know their lives were in danger. But it is just as critical as to rescue people who don't realize their danger and aren't crying out for help. Most people in the world are not screaming out for rescue, but they are drowning as sure as those people treading water in the Titanic. The issue in mission is not whether those who are drowning know they are in trouble and crying out for help. The issue is that they are lost and facing eternity in hell without Christ. Therefore, we as the church have the responsibility to reach them with the gospel of Jesus. Jesus had compassion because those people were sheep without shepherd. We have been saved. We were blind. Now we can see. Let's preach the gospel in words and in deed. May God bless you.